If you could choose any chapter to cut out of the Hebrew Scriptures, Genesis 22, the account we heard of that near sacrifice of Isaac, might well be the choice of many. And I might well be inclined to agree with you. Just what kind of God demands even the most devoted follower to kill his son and offer him up to that same God as a burnt offering? Just what kind of father could even think of killing his own son in cold blood? And even when that did not happen, what would have been the impact on this child, undoubtedly terrified by the actions of his till then loving father? I recall the suggestion that Abraham and Isaac were never terribly close afterwards, and that Sarah followed after Abraham with darkened eyes. Indeed, the next parts of the Abraham saga tell of Sarah's death, of Isaac's retreat to his mother's tent, and only at his marriage to Rebecca as he comforted. But that's next week's story. If you've ever wondered about the story, which so clearly questions everything you thought you believed about the God of the Bible, then you are not alone. This story has exercised students and scholars of the scriptures within Judaism, Christianity, and Islam for centuries, and there are no easy answers. I recall um, attending a meeting of the Interfaith uh, Three Faiths Council in Wellington, where this whole chapter was discussed by a Christian minister, a rabbi, and an imam, and it was fascinating. And incidentally, in Islam, it is Abraham's elder son, Ishmael, who is the object of the near sacrifice. Ishmael, from whom the Arab tribes and followers of Islam claim to descend. Well, the story is presented in Genesis 22 as God deciding to give Abraham a test. But what sort of test is it? Is it a test of his obedience? Will Abraham do what God asks of him in blind obedience, even if this killing of his child cries out against every moral and ethical standard of the law? including the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. We have too many questions to ask, I think, from seeing the results of blind obedience to authority in our own lifetimes to respect obedience, which is outside an ethical framework of moral responsibility for our own actions. So is it then a supreme test of Abraham's faith in God? Abraham's presented as the model follower of God within the tale. When God calls, Abraham responds, here I am, which in biblical terms is the right response of all good followers of God, answering God's call. Poignantly, though, it's also what Abraham says to his son Isaac when Isaac queries what is going on. Here I am, my son. And then at the very end, when the angel of the Lord urgently calls to Abraham to refrain from touching his son, Abraham again replies, here I am. Is he just on remote control? It does seem here that what we are seeing is a test of Abraham's faith. But why? Is God just being capricious with his servant Abraham? Well, in fact, if we probe a bit deeper, we could see perhaps some justification on God's side for testing Abraham's loyalty. Abraham and Sarah have come up with some rather dodgy schemes to engineer their futures. Abraham passed Sarah off as his sister 
a couple of times to protect his own skin. And then there was the attempt to get an heir through the slave girl Hagar we heard about last week, and the sorry tale of those rivalries between Sarah and Hagar, Ishmael and Isaac. But even if this is a test of Abraham's faith and of his trust in God, what an appalling test this proves to be. And those within Judaism have wrestled with this for hundreds of years. Remember, Abraham's story is set in 2000 before our common era, so 4,000 years before our own time. And yet this story has been used time after time through the centuries to express the horror of those who face tragedy as people of faith. Those who risk losing or who actually lose what is of infinite value in their lives, and yet they try to cling on to God, to hold on to their faith come what may, cause to lose their faith during such a time of trial would be to lose their very identity and to lose their own self. One of Judaism's greatest 20th century theologians, Eliezer Bekovitz, wrote from the perspective of his Jewish people wrestling to maintain faith in the light of the immense suffering they went through in the Holocaust of World War II, with six million killed. And he wrote a book in 1979 called With God in Hell. And he imagines Abraham speaking to God during those three days of hell as he follows God obediently to Mount Moriah, that place of unspeakable sacrifice. And this is what he has Abraham say. In this situation, I do not understand you, God. Your behavior violates our covenant. Still, I trust you because it is you, because it is you and me, because it is us. Almighty God, what you are asking of me is terrible. But I have known you, my God. You have loved me and I love you. My God, you are breaking your word to me, yet I trust you. I trust you. So this is no naive, blind faith. This is faith proven in long-held relationship and hard-won through deep suffering. And this is a faith, too, that can speak to our own tragedies and struggles with faith and with God. And so actually, grudgingly, I'm glad it's there. And I think it's important to hear such Jewish interpretations of this Genesis story before we too quickly jump to Christian answers and interpretations. Of course, as we look on the story of Abraham and Isaac, we need to hear that later in the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, the prophet Jeremiah speaks out strongly against child sacrifice. And many would say that the story was actually to model that, to say that God does not, in fact, want child sacrifice. And we see that movement within thinking over 1,500 years. And then as we come with Christian eyes, we see the resonance between that story and of our God who loved the world so much that he gave his only beloved son to die on the cross, a sacrifice for sin. And so when Isaac asks his father, well, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? We hear immediately John the Baptist pointing out Jesus, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. 
And when Abraham says God himself will provide the lamb, we hear that God provided Jesus the lamb, the full one, full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice for sin. And in the mystery of the unity of God, God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So God then does not ask of Abraham something that God is not willing to do as well. God knows what it is like to lose a child. God knows what it is like to bear the pain of suffering and to bear the cost of the tragedies and sins and sinned againstness of human life. God knows what it is to die. In the letter to the Hebrews, we hear another Christian interpretation of the story in that great chapter 11, setting out the heroes of the faith. Abraham is commended for his faith, for by faith Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was ready to offer up his only son, of whom he'd been told, it is through Isaac that descendants shall be named for you. And he considered the fact that God is able even to raise someone from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham's faith was such that he could trust God enough that even if that child had died, that God could raise him from death in order to fulfill those promises made to give Abraham and Sarah descendants through this son. So the author sees this as prefiguring Christ, who indeed died and was raised for us, that we might become children of God and part of God's family. Well, there's much that remains mysterious and challenging in that passage. And it's a story that's been used in, through the 20th century to challenge our own thinking about what we ask of children and young people in our time. And it challenges us today too. The World War I poet Wilfred Owen wrote a poem called The Parable of the Old Man and the Young about the story. And part of it says this. Think of World War I. Then Abram bound the youth with belts and straps and builded parapets and trenches there and stretched forth the knife to slay his son. When lo, an angel called him out of heaven, saying, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do anything to him. Behold, a ram caught in a thicket by its horns, offer the ram of pride instead of him. But the old man would not so, but slew his son and half the seed of Europe, one by one. The Jewish songwriter Leonard Cohen wrote his own song of Isaac in 1969 as a protest song against the Vietnam War. And it's well worth a listen in his inimitable style. But here is part of it. You who build these altars now to sacrifice these children, you must not do it anymore. A scheme is not a vision, and you never have been tempted by a demon or a god. You who stand above them now, your hatchets blunt and bloody, you were not there before when I lay upon a mountain and my father's hand was trembling with the beauty of the word. And if you call me brother now, forgive me if I inquire just according to whose plan. When it all comes down to dust, I will kill you if I must. I will help you if I can. When it all comes down to dust, 
I will help you if I must, I will kill you if I can. And mercy on our uniform, man of peace or man of war, the peacock spreads his fan. Today's gospel reading is short but poignant. Jesus continues to challenge and reassure his disciples as they're sent out on mission. First, be assured that whoever welcomes you welcomes Christ, and whoever welcomes Christ welcomes God who sent him. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, acknowledging them as a disciple, will not lose their reward. So today we go out as Christ's little ones, little Christs, as Christians were first called, his disciples. And we are called sometimes to prophetic action in God's name. And we are called to righteousness. And we are called to give and receive the love of God in Christ's name. May we go trusting in that God of Abraham and Sarah, of Isaac and Rebekah, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and our God. Amen.